Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Tuesday morning to each and every one of you. Somehow we made it on the air. I mean, even without Casey McAllister, who's out on his honeymoon, I mean, the band is back together except for uh, Casey not being here. We welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman, cast of thousands. It continues to grow by the day. <laughs> Paul is back. Welcome back, Pauling. Thank you, Tom. I mean, you, you look like you're, you're staring into Never Never Land. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, we're, we're all good. We're up and running. Everything's, everything's doing all right. Sorry, everybody. Uh, we're, we're all good. Everything's good. Well, the former, uh, the player formerly known as Mouse Cop, I don't know why that always has such a hard time getting uh, off my lips, but uh, it made the point, Reed, that for every minute the show is late getting on the air, you take a 1% reduction in salary. I know his name's Mouse Cop, but he doesn't have to police Mouse. Like, he doesn't have to do that. He's on my case all the time. He's in my head. I've been, I've been having nightmares about Mouse Cop, Tom. BLP, as he says over and over again, <laughs> big league Paul. Jacob, Elliot, good morning, man. How are we looking? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, no complaints from me. All right. All right. I mean, we just keep growing and growing right here in Chatterbox Sports. It's a good thing. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 hey. to 12. P. Yes, you can join us on YouTube or so we think. <laughs> slash Chatterbox Sports. If you'd prefer to join us in podcast form, we're growing by... Leaps and bounds over 20% per month. Not bad. You search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Now, look, before we go any further, there are things that are important in the world, and then there are things that are important in the world. 79 years ago today, June the 6th, 1944, Allied forces stormed and hammered the beaches of Normandy, kicking open Europe's front door. And the liberation was underway. God bless those brave heroes who helped crush the Nazis. We will never, never forget. All right, things started a little bit shaky last night for Andrew Abbott. And it's understandable that they would. He's only 24 years old. He's making his major league debut. He walks the first two batters in the second inning. Don't lie. Some of you were saying, uh-oh. Then his catcher, Luke Maley, comes out. Noticed a couple of flaws in his mechanics. Abbott took his advice and was simply magnificent from there on out. He became the first Reds pitcher since 1893, 60-plus years before World War II. 1893, tonight six scoreless innings in his major league debut while allowing no more than one hit. And you know what? Give it up to David Bell. We don't do a lot of that around here. But in a day and age where computers tell you a starting pitcher can't face a lineup for the third time around, I mean, God forbid we let it happen. David Bell said, numbers be damned, threw him out the window and said, I like what I'm watching here. So the key decision from Bell comes in the sixth inning. After a leadoff walk, it's only a 2-0 game. And the heart of the order coming up now for the third time. He let Abbott stay in the game. His pitch count was right around 100. And he watched as a young left-hander retired the next three hitters 
two on strikeouts, a third on a weak pop-up. Bullpen took care of the rest. Alexis Diaz is the best closer in the league. End of story. Tonight, the Dodgers come to town to start a three-game series. Tony Gonsolin opposes left uh, right-hander Luke Weaver. First pitch at 7-10. Charlie Goldsmith from Cincinnati.com will join us coming up. He was at Abbott's debut last night. We'll talk about the Reds mixing a little Bengals because he covers them as well. Jacob DeGrom was moved to the 60-day injured list yesterday by the Texas Rangers, which means he can't return until sometime around the end of June, if even then. The former National League Cy Young Award winner hasn't pitched since April with soreness in his right elbow. We talked about this when they signed him. We thought of all the big money deals in the offseason, this was the worst deal of them all. They gave him $185 million as a free agent, and he had made only 26 starts, 150 innings total over the last two years. Is the Oakland A's move to Las Vegas in jeopardy? Apparently so, after the state legislature failed to vote on funding for a new stadium before taking its summer recess. The proposal could potentially be considered in a special legislative session at a date to be determined, so stay tuned. Football news, lots of it. Bengals continue OTAs today downtown. It's not mandatory until minicamp next week, but just about every single player is in town. Did you see the NFL Network, boys? Did not see this. Went on a game-by-game predicting every single game of the Bengals' upcoming season. How about 14-3? and three? Would you take that? Does that get the one seed? Might. It does get the one seed. I would take 14-3. and 14-3, and three they predicted. If you're wondering, they have losses to Baltimore, to Pittsburgh, and to Cleveland. They have wins over the Bills and Chiefs at home and a win over the 49ers out in the Bay Area. The NFL is investigating Indianapolis cornerback and kick returner Isaiah Rogers for possible violations of the league's gambling policy. This is becoming a big deal. Rogers has already gone on social media and said he takes full responsibility for his actions. Stanley Cup Finals continued last night. It's all about Las Vegas. They blast Florida 7-2 and lead that series two games tonight. And FC Cincinnati plays tonight. Back in the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. You love that, don't you? I do. Yeah. I mean, what would a season be without a season inside of a season? Got to have a tournament within the season. You it's have season to have it. You have to have it. I mean, what else would there be in life if you weren't playing two side seasons at the same time? I love it. We should do the MLB. They, they don't play enough games in Major League Baseball, Tom. I tell you what I do wish they would do, though, in MLB. I do wish they would do what they do in the minor leagues, and that's start all over at the All-Star break. Yeah. That, they did that, what, one time in Major League history? They were forced to. Yeah, they were forced to. because one. And uh, the Reds had the best record in Major League Baseball and didn't make the postseason. And the Kansas City Royals had the second best record in Major League Baseball and did not make the postseason. But that was due to a work stoppage. A lot of people don't like that idea. I think it's kind of cool. I think if you have a team that, um, you know, whoever wins the first half, they go to the playoffs when all is said and done. And then maybe a team was injured, had a lot of guys out, whatever it might be. You start all over at the all-star break. And then whoever qualifies for the playoffs, all of them convene. 
and you get the whole thing together. It'll never happen, but it's nice to think about. Real pleasure to have Charlie Goldsmith. I- I'm not sure if I introduced this guy from Cincinnati.com uh, as a reporter on the Reds, as a reporter on the Bengals, or a reporter on anything and everything. Charlie, welcome to Off the Bench. How you doing? Good to see you. If somebody asked you, Charlie, which of those two or any others would you prefer? Reporter on the Reds and Bengals, I guess I'll take, but um, just happy to uh, be working for the Inquirer and uh, happy to be talking to you right now. How many years have you been there now? It's uh, year three. Year three. I mean, it's unbelievable. You do such a great job, and, and we read your stuff all the time. Let's start with last night, Andrew Abbott. Uh, loved your recap and the way that, you know, oftentimes uh, the write-up will be about the kid, and deservedly so. It was an incredible major league debut. But I love how you broke it down in talking about the visit to the mound by his catcher and what was going on. Walk us through all that because you were down there in the locker room. You watched the game, and then you were down in the locker room after the game. Yes, yeah, so Andrew Abbott's a guy who rarely walks hitters, but he walked three batters in the first inning and a third. And in the second inning, Luke Maley, the Reds' backup catcher, comes out and goes, all right, Andrew, trust your stuff. You're, you're nibbling. You know, be the guy who has the fastball that rises through the strike zone at an analytical rate that you rarely see. Be the guy who has a curveball who has a spin rate that you rarely see. After that, Abbott really took that advice, like, you know, of course, like it makes sense. All right, you can make that adjustment on the fly. But we've seen a lot of these debuts. You know, you know, Abbott was able to do that in his debut in a way that, you know, Nick Lodolo's debut wasn't the prettiest. Graham Ashcraft's debut wasn't the prettiest. Hunter Green had some uh, had some ups and downs over the course of his debut. But Abbott really stayed the course. His best inning was his last inning. And he showed exactly the type of guy that, you know, has the Reds viewing him as a top 100 prospect in baseball and a long-term part of their rotation. All right, you know, I always love getting inside uh, the, the game inside the game. So l- l- let me, though, though, kind of take that a little further with Abbott and Maley. By the time Abbott got up here, it's not like Maley had a chance to catch him even in a bullpen session. So I'm assuming, and, and, and it's assuming, I'm assuming that, that for Maley, sharp guy, smart guy, knows what he's doing back there, that, that, that is without a doubt. He must have watched some kind of video of, of Abbott or a lot of video of Abbott before he caught him to be able to pick up, you know, just a little flaw in his mechanics that he saw. Yes, yeah, so um, Maley caught him some during spring training. The Reds are really good about incorporating their catchers in the game planning process for the pitchers. They do that, like, just a lot more and give the catchers a lot more of a voice in that process. So Maley really knew what he was seeing and was prepared. He said he noticed in the second inning uh, Abbott was coming slow out of the windup, that or Abbott was coming too fast out of the windup, and that his arm was kind of lagging a little bit. He noticed some really small details like that, even though it was just his first time working with Abbott. You know, that's part of what's made Maley such a big uh, addition to the Reds this year. Same with Kirk Casale, having two such veteran catchers who just have such a good feel and instinct for pitch calling and what to say during mound visits and in-game adjustments. For a pitching staff as young as the Reds, that kind of stuff really means a lot. That's why backup catcher was one of the Reds, uh, maybe the Reds' biggest priority during the offseason because of moments like you saw with Maley and Abbott yesterday. All right, then you get to, to decision time for David Bell, as you got into. You know, look, uh, I understand a, a little bit of the analytics. I don't immerse myself in that stuff. I think it's great information to have. Uh, but having been around baseball for a while, I think there's something to be said of what your eyes tell you you're watching. Clearly, the Brewers were not getting good swings against uh, Abbott. 
Uh, the only way they were getting on base is if he walked them. Uh, he had only allowed one base hit. So now key decision time in that sixth inning. You got the heart of the order coming up. The old adage about you don't let starting pitchers go through a lineup three times. He decides this time that he likes what he sees and staying with it. That was a big moment. That was a really big moment. We've seen it a lot with, you know, less established starting pitchers. You know, we've even seen, you know, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo and Graham Ashcraft when he was pitching well have to earn that opportunity to go through the third time of the order. And yet in Andrew Abbott's major league debut, he didn't just get that opportunity. He came out and with the runner on base threw probably his second best pitch of the game, a curveball strike three looking. Like I wrote in my notes, who has curveballs strike three looking anymore? Like we just don't see that. Uh, a ton and he got it to get William Contreras out an all-star catcher and then his best pitch of the game to strike out Christian Yelich elevating that fastball showing that again like I mentioned earlier the unique analytical rise he has on that pitch getting Yelich to swing under it those two strikeouts gave David Bell the confidence to stick with Abbott through the rest of the inning he got a fly out to end it and literally you couldn't have asked for any more from someone in their first game in the big leagues all right, you touched on a couple of other names there. And, and, and just you know, bring us up to speed here, Charlie. Um, any idea, because he sounds like he has no idea, what is going on with Graham Ashcraft? So Graham Ashcraft throws three pitches, and let's do some process of elimination here. There's the slider, which was a pitch that he completely changed during, during spring training and took Major League Baseball by storm. Maybe one of the best pitches in the league in April. Well, the league adjusted. They realized that, especially early in counts, he wasn't throwing it for strikes. So they're just laying off the slider. He's not getting that chase, and that pitch has become less effective. Pitch number two, his two-seam fastball. This is the pitch that he added in 2021 to become a guy who was a no-name prospect to a guy who became a big prospect for the Reds. Graham says he has just no feel for his two-seam anymore. He stopped throwing it. He's trying a new grip out to see if that can save the pitch. But he has lost all feel for that pitch and, again, has stopped throwing it. So that's two out of three. That leaves the cutter. Now teams are just waiting for the cutter early in the at-bat. They feel like they know what's coming. They know exactly what they want what they want their pitch to be early in the at-bat. And the beauty of his two-seam is that goes one way and the cutter goes the other way. And now he only has the cutter that goes to his left. So he just has fewer answers. Teams have a better sense of what to expect. He is deep in the adjustment process right now of finding that new grip for his two-seam fastball. He's kicked around the idea of adding a changeup, and he has to find a way to locate his slider for strikes. That's a lot to do on the fly in the middle of a season. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, what his future in the rotation for the short term looks like. I'm still a big believer in Ashcraft's long-term potential because that cutter is something that, you know, no one else in baseball can quite do what he can. But he is squarely in the middle of kind of a, a tipping point of his season right now. All right. Now, look, uh, I, I, I'm not putting these words in your mouth. I just put I, I say them because I've seen it far too often uh, through 30 plus years in baseball. It's not that teams are lying to you about how healthy guys are. And I know you get into the whole HIPAA thing. I get all that. But I just think that oftentimes they don't tell the full truth and it doesn't make them bad people. When I see something like this with Hunter Green, my initial skepticism, you know, kicks into high gear. I'm like, wait a minute now. Okay, he's had a bad hip. He's pitched it, arguably two of his best games of the season consecutively, right? Even pitching with a sore hip. It's not like they backed him up one or two days. They back him up a week. I I am I overreacting? 
Yeah, um, he has a, a bullpen, I believe, Thursday or Friday, but I'm pretty sure it's Thursday. Um, nothing will change between now and then. You know, he, he's on track to make this start on Sunday, and the only way that could change is if he comes out and throws this bullpen later in the week, and he does, you know, report some more stiffness, some more soreness. Then, you know, we have something here. But everything I've been told right now is, uh, again, look at the way he pitched most recently. David Bell stressed this multiple times. Everything I've been hearing behind the scenes is that the Reds have confidence that he can – you know, just overcome this like everyone's overcoming some sort of wear and tear over the course of the season. Um, certainly a, a little bit of a concern, but again, unless he throws that bullpen later in the week and something bad happens, I have heard that there's no long-term concern yet. Okay, uh, then there's Lodolo. We initially, and again, this is what, you know, kind of kicks it into gear again. You know, we initially hear it's a calf thing. Then all of a sudden we hear now it's a bone thing right there in the shin area, right? And I've broken that bone a couple times, both of them in there, tibia, fibula. I'm not a professional athlete. I'm a slightly heavy, uh, you know, 59-year-old dude. But I know that that's not an easy injury to come back from. What are you hearing, if anything, about Lodolo? I mean, he's in a scooter. Um, there's no way to – There's you know, that's that's – the only thing that matters right now, he's not on his feet. He's off his feet. There's a long way to go from being in a scooter to being back on the major league mound. He has left calf tendinosis, which tendinosis compared to tendinitis is a chronic condition. So they're looking at different ways to kind of prevent this from flaring up again in a negative way because it won't just go away. It's had an impact too, or it's one caused the other, or the other caused the other. Uh, but the stress reaction in his tibia, um, either that caused the, the stress on his calf or the calf caused the stress on his tibia. They're searching for that answer. They're trying to, you know, find the root of the problem to make sure it doesn't become a long-term issue. But anytime you're, maybe your best pitcher has been in a boot for a month and on a scooter for a month, that's concerning. The story of Nick Lodolo's season will be this injury and how long it takes to come back from this. And again, there's nothing else to, to say right now, except right. that he is a, a long way from pitching, certainly concerning. Um, the Reds were very you know, frustrated when he got hurt because he is one of their most important players and they're pitching uh, or playing without him for a while. All right, look, I, I would imagine, Charlie, the question you get asked uh, around town, people know who you are, you're in high demand to do a lot of shows like this. I have to believe topic A is uh, Ellie De La Cruz. Now, th there's been a lot of speculation, uh, you know, when he's coming up, some thought it might have been on the last road trip. Others thought it might have been on this homestand to, to start things off against the Brewers. Obviously, that's not happened. Um, do, do you think this is a case of um, they don't think he's ready to come up or the dilemma they're going to face of who's going to play where once they do bring him up? I think he's ready. I think Ellie De La Cruz is more than good enough to help the Reds win games right now. And that's why I think we'll see him called up any day now within the next week, two weeks. I'd be shocked if it wasn't by the end of the road trip. Uh, frankly, I expect sometime between now and the end of that road trip, he'll be called up. I do think there are some conversations they have to have and they have to plan for. You know, Ellie De La Cruz, when he comes up, since he has such star potential, you know, the entire ecosystem in some ways just uh, does change. You know, Ellie De La Cruz getting called up impacts Matt McClain and Jonathan India, Nick Senzel and Spencer Steer, and the structure of the lineup and all of these tangible ways. It impacts everyone. And from a preparation standpoint, that takes, you know, preparing. Uh, from a conversation standpoint, you want to make sure you have those conversations with the players to be ready for Ellie's call up. 
For example, you saw Jonathan India uh, taking ground balls at third base yesterday. He's done that a few times recently. He's getting, you know, more experience in different positions and versatility. If, you know, McLean plays second, India can play third, stuff like that. So they're working through those types of things. That's a very big reason he hasn't been called up yet. We will see him up very soon. There's a plan in place, and they're certainly on the on the tra trajectory of Ellie's arrival. That's what they're really preparing for right now. Um, you know, you, it will you really look, Charlie, at, at all three of these things, and we tend to talk about, I say three areas, not things. Okay, we, we tend to talk about how the Reds and their system, high level, their system already at the big leagues, they're loaded up with guys who are quote-unquote middle infielders. Some of them can go play third if they need to. McLean and De La Cruz and India have all done that at some point in time in their careers, albeit college or in the minor leagues. You're starting now to get to a point as well, however, where, you know, whatever decision you're going to make about the shortstop and second base, okay, well, let's just assume for a second, India now, you're considering playing him a little bit at third with De La Cruz at short and McLean at second base. Now you get into, though, the second area, which is, the corner positions and DH, right? How do you think all of this ultimately works out? Steer was playing very well at third. In, in spring training, they didn't think so. You reported on this. Now all of a sudden the season starts, he was playing pretty well at third. Then all of a sudden he has to go over to first. Senzel comes into third. You've got Encarnacion Strand, who is, if De La Cruz is hot in AAA, Encarnacion Strand is just as hot as he is, right? 14 bombs hitting 350 on base percentage over 400, all these kinds of things. So he, he's got to be knocking on the door. And then lingering way out there in the woods is Votto, who's out on his rehab. How do you think ultimately, if you were a betting man, and we get to September 1st of this year, so let's, let's do two things here. September 1st of this year, opening day next year, who is playing where? September 1st of this year, I think there won't be set starters at most positions. They're, I, I get the sense that their plan is to rotate, to use the DH, have India play a lot of seconds still, a bit of third, maybe a bit of try them out at first, play at DH some, and keep them in the lineup every day that way. McLean, I could see him playing You know, the, the rest of the starts at second base, a few days a week at short. Ellie, most days at short, maybe one or two days or, or three at third. Rotate, keep everyone in the mix, keep your options open, and really prevent any final decisions until you have all of the information, as much of the information as possible. Um, then when you're looking down the road in the future, when India has a full offseason to prepare for a new position, I do get the sense that he could be an impact left fielder. That's something you hear brought up a lot on what India could do in the outfield, especially because they see Matt McClain as a guy who they think can be a gold glove second baseman and has an upside defensively there that India does, doesn't quite have. I do think this is important to stress, though. Like, I'm very high on McClain. I'm very high on Ellie. I'm very high on Christian Encarnacion Strand. India is the only one who's really hit consistently for a while at the big league level. Of course, some great weeks for Matt McClain, but India by far is the most established guy you have right now. I don't give up on that guy. Make sure you do everything you can to keep that guy in the top of your lineup. You see, you know, that the Padres have guys making a lot more money, but you see the Padres moving Tatis to the outfield to try to maximize the roster with the personnel they have and find solutions that way. And Tatis has, you know, continued to provide value in the team that way. 
you know, India's importance to the Reds relatively is similar, considering the Reds don't have the big-name stars. India is basically their uh, big-name star in addition to Ellie. I do everything he can to keep him at the top of the order. I'm open-minded to seeing what he looks like in the outfield next season. Would you be open-minded if some have suggested it's been out there? I don't know if India's talked about it or not, but, I mean, once you get an eye on all these guys, you consider trading India? I mean, no one's untradeable. Uh, the Twins traded uh, Arias to the Marlins last offseason for Pablo Lopez, a really good top of the rotation starter. And, you know, everyone has their value. I, I think both Miami and Minnesota are pleased with the results of that trade. Um, maybe the Reds, you know, the Reds do have a need in the outfield long term, or, in the, you know, may, you can never have another, you can never, you always need another top of the rotation starter. But like I was saying earlier, India is the only guy who's been really good for a while of this group. He does have the leadership role in the team. He does have the presence. You know, Spencer Steer said the other day, India is the guy who establishes the identity that we're trying to play with and leads the Reds in that way. I do everything I can to keep that guy, even if it does mean changing positions. But certainly, you know, again, no one is untradeable. And I'll be interested to see, you know, that will be the defining question of the Reds offseason, whether it's a position change from India, someone else makes a position change, or if trade conversations pick up. All right, last thing I want to ask you about the Reds. How long, or perhaps they're there already, how long do you start getting worried about Tyler Stevenson? I mean, look, he can, he can have a game here or there where he gets a hit or a couple of hits, but let's be honest about it. This has not been good uh, from what you expected. And, and expectations are dangerous, especially as they pertain to young players. But when you start talking about a guy who loves to catch, got injured catching, um, you know, with a concussion, and then he got hit, and that was a freak play that knocked him out for the year last year. But, you know, look, the bottom line is he's always been a catcher. He likes being a catcher. We all understand why they're doing what they're doing, whether it's DHing occasionally, not as many games behind the plate, playing a little bit of first base, all those kinds of things. But when do you think, or are they there already, about getting concerned about his offense? I don't think there's long-term concern, but there is short-term concern. We know this because they entered the year with a very concrete plan for Tyler Stevenson, and that plan changed. You know, he was originally supposed to play third or play first, was it three out of ten days, basically? They've had Tyler stop working at first base. He has not taken ground balls there anymore. He hasn't played there since April, and that's because they want him focusing on his catching and his hitting. And that is a sign to me that, you know, they want him to get more focus and more opportunity to improve those specific areas of his game because what they were doing wasn't working. You know, he just hasn't looked like himself. He's a guy who, when he's at his best, just looks more comfortable at the plate than anybody. And he just hasn't quite been that guy recently. He's working on some adjustments. He's trying to lay off the inside pitch. I, I still think he's their catcher of the future, but this is a big couple months for him to try to get that confidence back and become the guy he was last year. All right, look, you also have your uh, finger on the pulse of the Bengals. And, uh, you know, look, we had James Rapine on yesterday. We talked about it for a long time here. Um, he doesn't have to be here. But what are your thoughts of this whole Jonah Williams thing? I think Jonah Williams has become underrated. Like, we forget how middle of the road the Bengals' right tackles have been, how they've rotated 30 to 32-year-olds who have been inconsistent over the course of their career. Like, what if the Bengals went out and signed a guy who was a former first-round pick entering his fifth year in the league, someone who, you know, is really a strength is the way he understands the playbook and the scheme and blitz pickups and all that kind of stuff. Someone who has played solid enough while not showing star power or really a ton of high-end consistency against the best players in the league. 
but there are only like five right tackles in the league who you can make that case for. I think he by far is the favorite to be the Bengals' starting right tackle right now. He gives them, again, some traits that they haven't had at right tackle in a while. And, you know, I, I expect him to be at mandatory minicamp coming up next week. I expect him to be invested. It's a contract year for him, too, uh, heading into the regular season. And, again, if Jonah Williams is the guy you're worried about, Jonah Williams two years ago was the guy you were least worried about. So that shows you how much the line as a whole has improved. All right, but and that's 100% accurate. Couldn't agree more about that. But it is a new position for him. And, and, and so, you know, look, I, I don't know. We've had guys on this program. We had on uh, Willie Anderson uh, last week, and he said that move from one tackle to the other tackle spot is a big deal, uh, especially as it pertains to your brain and your, you know, your, your, your left foot on one side, your right foot on the other. Willie said that, you know, uh, he, he would talk to guys who, whose bodies all of a sudden started to, to change or break down because they were using muscles in different parts of their body on one side that they weren't necessarily using on the other side. The whole brain aspect of all of that. I mean, he got pretty deep in the woods on this stuff. Um, so for me, and again, it's just my opinion, I, I just think there's been a goal, not to say it can't time can't, you can't make up for it. I just think there's been some lost time here on some things that, that he could have and should have been doing. Maybe he's built up enough equity down there with his teammates where they're just like, okay, this is the business of football. We ain't worried about it. That's fair, but life's all about what you're willing to put up with, right? And, uh, you know, last year the Bengals had a right tackle on Lyle Collins who didn't do anything in the training, basically anything in all of training camp because he had back issues. And you can make the same case, you know, about the, the mental and physical hurdles of coming back from that. Um, you had a guy in Riley Reef in 2021 who was playing through all sorts of injuries over the course of the season. In 2020, it was Bobby Hart who wasn't good. And if you would rank the problems, I would take the guy who's moving to a new position over the guy who missed all of training camp, over the guy who wasn't good. Um, when you're ranking problems and concerns, I would take the problems or, or issues or concerns that come with Jonah because, frankly, they're less concerning to me than the others. And, by the way, the other two guys he's competing with, one of them's Collins coming off a torn ACL. We'll see what he practices at any point in training camp. The other is Jackson Carmen, who's making that exact same position change. So I don't think there's a better, more comfortable answer at right tackle than Jonah Williams. And I don't think they've had a more comfortable answer at right tackle in a couple of years. All right, last thing I'm going to ask you, my friends here in the chat that are watching our show every single day, they told me I'm tired for asking this question, but I'm going to continue to ask it because I like hearing different opinions on this. Okay, are the Bengals better today on paper than they were? And I'm not going to say the AFC championship game because they had all the offensive linemen that were hurt. But that group that started 15 straight games together, it, are the Bengals better today than they were last year? Depends on how good Nick Scott and Dax Hill are. Yep. That, to me, is the most intriguing story of the season. Dax actually offers some playmaking and some turnover possibilities that the Bengals didn't have. But, you know, when you're in the league of where you're not really competing in the AFC North, you're in your own division with Mahomes, Allen, the Eagles, the 49ers, and the other Super Bowl contenders. How you do against the elite quarterbacks will shape your season. Jesse Bates and Von Bell were as good against elite quarterbacks as any safety duo in all of football. That's my biggest question when I, you know, really watch them in full pads in training camp, how quickly they hit the ground running. Big picture, if I were to guess now, I'd say, yeah, especially because they, they are better, especially because, you know, when the Bengals lost last year, take out the Ravens game in week five, they lost to the uh, Steelers in week one because they couldn't block. They lost to the 
Cowboys the next week because they couldn't block. They lost to the Browns in the middle of the season because they couldn't block. They lost to the Chiefs in the AFC title game because they couldn't block Chris Jones. Their line is uh, much better now. And so for, for all that, I would guess the Bengals would be better. But again, the X factor is those two safeties. All right. Charlie, you're awesome, man. I'd love to have you come back. Thanks so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy the ball game tonight. Thanks, you too. All right. Charlie Goldsmith. Man, he's on it, isn't he? Yes, he is. That dude is on it. He's on it. They on are, it. They Dialed are. in, as I like to say. Tom, I love how you keep asking. I'm going <laughs> to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. Everyone says yes. No, the, time out. He says the same thing. He said the exact same thing that I have said all year long. Which is? Which is, I am deeply concerned about the safeties. There is no way on God's earth, not to say they can't be halfway through the year, not to say they can't be by the end of the year, but there is no way on God's earth any reasonable human being who's watched any football at all even if they've never watched football, you just look at the back of their bubblegum card. Mm-hmm. There is no way on God's earth you can say their defense, which is a big part of their team, okay? There is no way on God's earth you can say that you are not concerned about the safeties compared to who was there last year. Like him or not, Jesse Bates was a damn good player for this franchise for six Fantastic. years. Fantastic. Absolutely. Gamer, Right. I mean, the business side of things, those happen. Von Bell, ultimate gamer. Both of them captains. Bell changed the whole sort of mindset and spirit of this defense when he walked in the door. Um, And and now all of a sudden, you just heard him say it. Don't listen to me. Now all of a sudden, you're starting, you know, Taylor Britt back there. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, Dax Hill back there. And, and, And Nick Scott. I mean, maybe they'll be better than both of those guys. I don't know. So the question ultimately becomes, if you're going to judge, are they better or not? Really, it seems like it comes down to this. You tell me if you agree with this or not, right? It really comes down to, and he pointed this out as well, do you believe the increase in improvement by signing Orlando Brown, right? Do you believe the increase in the offensive line's potential, right? And he just said the reason they lost their three games because they're three of the games because they couldn't block mm-hmm. four games, right? Including the championship game with a lot of guys out. Does that offset or surpass what you've lost in the back end of your defense from production standpoint and leadership standpoint? Isn't that what it is? Yeah, no, it is. You're, it's, it's pros, cons, adding and subtracting. That's what you're doing. But I've got to ask you a question, Tom. Out of every unit on the defensive side, which is the least valuable, would you say? Because I think a lot of people would argue that the safety is probably the least valuable unit on the defensive side of the ball. You know, obviously defensive line and cornerbacks are the first two, but then you're just arguing is a linebacker or a safety more important for your defense? And the safety is the only spot that has gotten worse. The defensive line has gotten better. You can argue, although they lost Eli Apple, the, the cornerbacks have certainly gotten better, and they bring the linebackers back. So it's just how much do you value the safety position? And I think that there is enough talent there, and I think that that is, you know, uh, an under, an overvalued part of the defense, I guess is what I should say. So I'm not too worried about it. Okay, well, uh, and that's a fair and valid point. I'm not going to argue that at all. All I know is one single quote. This is all I know. Mm-hmm. 
One simple quote by the man who's forgotten more about it than I'll ever know, and that would be Lou Anarumo. Mm. Do you remember the quote? I do remember it. Do you remember the quote? I do remember it. All right. The quote was, my darkest day, my darkest day would be if Jesse Bates and Von Bell left. That's not Tom Brenneman. That's Lou Anarumo. I don't know. Guy knows more about it than I do. Yeah, well. All right. All right, Ham and Eggers, take it away. Uh, we got lots to talk about. I want to talk about Abbott's game last night. Talk a little bit more about the Bengals. Uh, got a few other things here on, and there on the radar. This is uh, Rogers' guy in Indy. Not getting a lot of news. But uh, this gambling thing for players in the NFL, where is this thing going? Uh, the teams are all in bed. The league is in bed with gambling. It's okay for the league. It's okay for the teams, but if your car pulls up in the Colts facility and you want to place a bet on an NBA game, your ass is out. Right? Yep. Yeah. Ham and Eggers. Here we go. Mr. President. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me. I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Um... Okay. The are the Bengals better question is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data center world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work from home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Look at that. Look at this chemistry. Man. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. And while we're talking about athletes, as we do, because this is a sports show, if you want to be a superior athlete, it all comes down to training and hydration. You are a better athlete when you are better hydrated. And there is no better way to hydrate yourself with a premium alkaline water that is made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. That is Pawnee Water. You know it if you've seen this show enough. We've been talking about it for months, and that's because we can't stop talking about it. It is the best tasting water in the world and as you've known alkaline water has been shown to support superior hydration benefits to regular water in a clinical study and they do it with natural limestone filtration they don't add anything like those other alkaline waters it is nothing but water baby you can get that at Pawnee water that is p-a-h-h-n-i water.com and you can see where you can find this great tasting water we keep plugging this Take a picture of Pawnee Water. If you find it in the store, buy it. We'll retweet it here on our on our main account. That's right. And speaking of retweeting things, we do want to give a shout-out. Thank you, OJ, for the super chat. I've been trying here to figure out how to put it up on the screen, and I'll be honest, I'm waving the white flag on that one. But we do appreciate <laughs> you sending in the $5 super chat. So thank you very much on that, OJ. Uh, we do have it in here. Uh, make sure you drink Pawnee Water, bet with Betfred, get your coffee from UDF, and uh, – Thank you to Encore for sponsoring the Are the Bengals Better? <laughs> we really, they, that, they are the official sponsor of that question, whether they like it or I not. I love that question. I don't know it, if they it, want to be associated with that question, but they are the sponsor of that question. It fires up the chat immediately every single time. And we know that there's big breaking news. We're going to wait till Tom gets back in the studio to break that news to him to get his honest reaction. So we'll talk about it here in a second. Um, Paul, what are you doing tonight? I am uh I don't think I'm doing anything tonight. Three, two, one night? Oh, the Reds. I'm uh, going. Jacob's going. Oh. Mark Mouse is going. Oh. My pops. Oh yeah. 
Mark's we're gonna have, going. We're going to have ourselves a nice little Tuesday. Oh, boy. Jacob, you're going? I am. Yes, sir. Haven't missed a Tuesday game since they started 3-2-1s. I wow. have stopped going to Bengals games with my dad because I can't keep up. I will start drinking a beer, and he'll like look at me like, you ready for another one? Especially on a hot day like this, and then all of a sudden I'm getting another one in my hand. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm here to watch Shohei Otani and Mike Trout play against the Angels, and I can't even see straight. There's about three Otanis out there and four Trouts. So I've stopped. I've had an embargo with going to Reds games with my dad, but we're breaking it tonight for 3-2-1 night. So I'm excited about uh, it. Tom, we are going to welcome you back here with the biggest breaking. I mean, I, I don't think this is an exaggeration to say that this might be the biggest breaking news story of the year. All right. Um, this is, I mean, this, and, and not a shtick here. This is, I hate that we have to qualify this when it's coming from, from us over here at the table, but it's not a shtick. This is actually big breaking news. Um, the PGA Tour has agreed to merge with Live Golf uh, as one entity. So all of the major golf tours and tournaments will all be now under one umbrella. PGA and Live are merging and. This is a, a huge deal from what it sounds like, Tom. This is going to change the name of the PGA Tour. They're going to play it under a new name. I don't know what that means for the history of the PGA Tour. I don't know what that means for all the records. I don't know what that means for everything that golf has built over the last 150 years. But all these guys that went and took the money and went to live and now I guess have sort of in a way been vindicated – they look like the smartest guys in the room. They went and These they got paid. They got a year of bad PR, but I don't think any of them care about that. Dad, or sorry, we were talking about my <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, we were talking about my dad when, when the ham and eggers section, but we're back. But uh, Tom, these guys took hundreds of millions of dollars. Yep. In return, they lost their tour card. It then came out that they could go play in majors, so they're winning majors again. And one year later, they took the, the hundreds of millions of dollars, and they got their tour card back. Look, I can't believe this. I, I've been asking people this question about this, and they look at me like I had four heads. Kind of like the way this show is going right now. Hey. <laughs> Whoa. Paul. Oh, what? Okay, here we are. Hi. Oh, no, no, no. Nice to see we you. We were on. That was the TVs. Welcome. That was Welcome the TVs. Back. We were still on. We were, we were still, still, we're still no, live. Look, look, I have been asking this question because to me, this seemed like this was a direction sooner or later this thing was going to end up with. Now, some of the details that are starting to leak out about this thing is here, here's what's even more amazing, in my opinion. Okay. We all know, and, and this is where I got to be honest with you. I mean, if there is ever anything that applies to money talks and bullshit walks, this is it. Okay? The high and mighty out there, and, and you decide on who they are. Okay? Talked about Saudi Arabian money. Okay? Despite the fact that the LPGA Tour, and that's a separate entity, I get it, but that the LPGA Tour was um, the, the number one sponsor of the LPGA Tour is Saudi Arabian money. Number one, by far. I think they said of the 32, if I read right, of the 32 biggest sponsors of the PGA Tour, 18 or 19 of the 32 do business in Saudi Arabia. Okay, 
So look, if you want to say it's blood money, you call it whatever you want. I'm not calling it that. All right? But that's what the high and mighties and tell you how to live your life. Right? They all said, we're not getting in bed with the Saudis. No way. Even though all these companies that pay us all these tens of millions of dollars a year, they're in bed in Saudi Arabia and doing business. Here's the deal. On this new thing, the governor of Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, the guy who funded the entire live tour, mm -hmm. right? This is the money behind the fund that started live golf. He will join the board of the PGA Tour. This guy is on the board. Okay? Well, hold on. That's not enough. The same guy is going to be the chairman of this new group. The chairman. Okay, so you can dress this up and say it's kind of folding into the PGA. Mr. Monahan, of course, who is the PGA Tour Commissioner, Jay Monahan, he will be the CEO and the PGA Tour having a majority stake in this new venture. Okay? So, um, the PIF, which is this fund, has dumped more than $2 billion into the golf enterprise, which critics out there, as I mentioned, have claimed is a form of sports washing. That's what they call it, sports washing, to repair the Saudi Arabian monarchy's history of human rights violations. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here. I read a lot about this stuff just because I find it interesting. But I'm no expert on any of these things. But what I do know here is this is an unbelievable deal. It's an unbelievable announcement. But it's even further evidence of where's the money. Money and always wins. And Ronnie will trump all of those who at the end of the day tell you that we can't be doing this because of Dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank on any topic out there. How do you feel if you're the guys who turned down the live, live tour money? Tiger Woods turned down $800 million, Tom, to, to plant a flag and say, I'm morally right. I'm going to stick with the PGA. Of course, Tiger Woods doesn't need the money, but $800 million? If you're a borderline PGA guy, and I'm not talking about the guys because – you had to have the guys like Tiger and Rory who have made their money, don't need the money, and somebody needed to be on the side of the PGA, and, and they were. Those were those guys. I'm talking about the, the borderline guys, mm -hmm. the guys who were good, yeah. maybe win some tournaments here and there, but you know aren't really competing for top tens in the majors consistently. Whoever those guys were that maybe got offered money that we don't know about, that turned it down because they wanted to do the morally right, right thing and right. stay with the PGA Tour. How do those guys feel right now? Jay Monahan looks like the biggest weasel in the world, right? Well, I mean, and what about all these fans? And look, some of you are out there. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But what about all these fans? Oh, my God. The Live Tour. It's the evil empire. Right? Yeah. Hate the hate the live tour. 
hate the Saudi money, hate the guys that left. Now all of a sudden, they're back. You okay to just welcome everybody under the fold, under one big happy family now? Of course you are. You know why? Because you're not going to have tournaments that were PGA-sanctioned events where all of a sudden there's no Brooks Kepka. There's no Dustin Johnson, right? There's no all these guys. Phil tweeting, awesome day today. Phil. You don't think he's sticking his chest out a little bit today, do you? Oh, my god! I mean, at the end of the day, Greg Norman is the face of Liv, but Phil Mickelson is the current player's face of Liv, right? Yes. He's a guy. I mean, they all just slaughtered this guy, right? Rory, all of them. Killing Mickelson, right? So, Tom, and I guess maybe we, we don't play uh, any sad music here, but here's uh, the, <laughs> the the only highlight I can remember from the live tour. Here's Chase Kepka's hole-in-one. Brooks's brother in Australia. There we go. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's really good. That looks like 16 at uh, the Phoenix Open. That's awesome. Are they really going to rename the the company? So it's what it's saying here. I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's not what, a lot out about this yet. That's that's what they're saying is that is that it's not going to be the PGA Tour anymore. It's not. So imagine this. <laughs> imagine you are Rory McIlroy, and you turn down the money, like you said. Right. And you're hundreds doing of you're hundreds of millions of dollars, which, to be fair, again, these guys probably don't need. But you turn down the money. I mean, not needing $100 million. I know, I know, I know, I know. But, but it, it, they don't need it I as know, much as I like get, the borderline I get, guys I get, get it, I get it. You turn down this money, and all of a sudden this comes out. And not only do you merge with Liv, but there's a potential that there are going to be new record books. You're playing under a new name. Is Liv the winner here? It's hard to say. I we mean, learn more maybe about winner is it's too, a perfectly logical may, question. Maybe winner is too strong because we don't know enough details yeah, of this yet. Details. We only have the press release from the PGA Tour and, and some other little details here and there. But I think you can at least ask the question at this point. Is Did Live Golf get more out of this than the PGA Tour did? And I think that's a very logical way to look at this. There's no doubt. The, for the PGA, that question is yes. For the PGA Tour... For it not to be called the PGA Tour anymore and, and whatever the history – there's no way they're going to, like, start fresh on history. That just can't happen, right? <laughs> right? No, I think you're right. They're not – I mean, Liv hasn't been around long enough to sort of alter all those sorts of record books or things like that. But I know where you're But going. I'm just saying, let's, right. they, they make up some new name, Major League Golf. Right. You know, whatever. World Golf, whatever. Whatever it is. Right. Yeah, yeah whatever Saudi it is. Saudi Golf. Yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> And they just start making new, new records there. New, uh, who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know. Listen, in the release, right? We, we know about all the the legal battles and all this kind of thing, but they agree to quote unquote merge and move forward in a larger commercial business. Commercial being the key word there, because that is just another word for money. 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 
How long do you think this has been in the works? Do you think it was the Brooks Kepka thing that started this? Because I know there, there's been a bunch of lawsuits between these Liv and the PGA for a while now. But was it the Brooks winning the PGA Championship, getting another exemption? So half those Liv guys are exempted from all the majors anyway. So they're going to be, you're going to see them, you're going to see them in all the tournaments on the PGA anyway. But do you think Brooks's win on the PGA Championship sparked this? I, I think it helped it. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah. Um, I, I also think, though, that, that at the end of the day, and, and it's going to be really interesting to, say, uh, to see the player's role in all of this behind the scenes, right? Because, look, you know all of these guys that went over to live. They still want to be able to qualify in the points. They want to be able to play in the Ryder Cup, all of those kind of things that were in jeopardy, okay? They want that. They also want to be able to play in the regular events. The fans want them to play in the regular. I mean, i got to tell you, the Memorial Tournament has always been one of the best tournaments there is. After the majors, you can make an argument that the TPC and the Memorial are the two biggest non-major events every single year. It's Jack Nicklaus's tournament. Everybody yep. wants to be there, right? Now, all of a sudden, I mean, Hovland's a big name. And there was maybe one other name on there that most people, you know, recognize. But outside of that, it's not the same. Yeah. It's just not. And so I think the golf fans ultimately went on this, right? I think so. Yeah, they're definitely the winners. I mean, Paul said, is Liv winning or PGA winning? I think the fans win first off, and the golfers that signed with Liv originally win second because they got their money, and now they're getting their tour cards back, it at least seems, in some capacity. So those are definitely the two winners. I mean, Brooks Kepka won the PGA Championship, and we weren't going to get to watch him. I mean, unless you're tuning into the CW, we weren't going to get to watch him for another couple months, and he's one of the biggest names in golf. So definitely a win for fans. Yeah. It feels like the PGA still could have waited them out, though. If they wanted to take the moral high ground, Liv wasn't really growing. Like Jacob just said, they were on the CW, and their broadcasts were getting pulled for top 50 animals of the past month. I, that's a real show they have on the CW, and it was bumping Liv broadcasts. It seems like it, it, it's, the, the speed of this is shocking to me. I, I would not have expected this to happen right now. But I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how long this has been in the works. Maybe it's been in the works from the beginning, as soon as Brooks and, and Phil took the deal. I don't know, but like, like, like Paul said, Jay Monahan, the, the PGA Tour commissioner, that guy looks like a fool, a clown. Why? Because he, he, he had a bunch of comments right from the beginning bashing the morality of live. And now he's joining, he's excited about it, he's pumped for it, he loves it. It's gonna grow, they're going to grow the game together now with live. It's really, really interesting. Really, really, and, and I, like I said, I just can't wait to hear uh, what role, and there's no doubt that the players, both in Liv and in the PGA, right, they had to be huge driving forces behind this thing. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, when you look at, all, like, like we're talking about, with guys that, look, the other thing too, players, if you're allowed to play in, for a major, like Brooks Kepka has talked a lot through his career, and that's why he's been so divisive about how he just he wants to go play in a major. He doesn't really care about everything else. He just wants to play in the majors, and if he can play in the majors and win some majors, that's what matters. He doesn't care about the little tournaments. He doesn't care about winning the Memorial. 
So for these players that were getting exemptions to play and win majors, it hadn't happened yet. But now that Brooks had won a major, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, he's going to get the exemptions. He's going to be back. He's going to keep playing in majors. He looks as good as he ever has. And especially after everything that he went through, if anybody had watched full swing, then you'd know that. Everything that he comes through, he, he comes out of it on the other side. He's winning a major. And now he gets to go back and get the money. He, he gets paid. He wins a major. He gets paid hundreds of millions of dollars. He comes back. He wins a major. Gets the tour card back. Gets the tour card back. Well, whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be something to Now here we are. I mean, these guys, I, I think Elliot or, or, or I forget which one of you said it. It felt like they could have almost waited it out. Yeah. It felt like they could have waited this out. But what do you think Brando Shambles? Oh, he is right in now? shambles. <laughs> he is in absolute shambles. Well, I mean, it, it, Colin Morikawa tweeted out just a few minutes ago. So, I mean, here's where maybe I'm just totally out of whack and way off pace. I'm just guessing. Colin Morikawa tweeted 40 minutes ago, I love finding out morning news on Twitter. Mm. Now, I don't know if that means he's surprised by all this is happening. Eric Engels is, is reporting. A bunch of these tweets going out by PGA Tour golfers are really something. He said, I cannot believe the, the, the tour would make the decision to merge with Liv without informing its members. Kyle Porter, CBS. I'm sure Rory McIlroy is really pleased with the tour. Rolling him out week after week to fight its battle so that in the end, Phil, Brooks, Bryson, DJ, and others could walk away with $500 million and reunification with the league that he defended and they defected. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, this whole thing. But I think I think we can all agree that this is probably the biggest sports story of the year, right? Yeah. Is there one bigger than this? I mean, this completely changes the game of golf. This completely changes not uh, not the game, I guess. But no, it does. It does though, because yeah. it's they're going to take the live format of golf too. It's going to be the team golf. It's going to change the sport. Oh, what? The, so I, I, I that's not official. But what's going to happen is they're going to they're absolutely going to implement some of those live the live rules. Or they get everybody joins a team. You know those teams have like eight people. The aces, of course. Jay Monahan here in, in in the release. Jay Monahan said said in a memo to players that a thorough evaluation would determine how to integrate team golf into the game. Oh, I'm in. I'm in for team golf. That I'm I in like. it too. That I like. You, people struggle to pit, latch onto one golfer. I think it. You get more fans to just latch onto a team, root for a team. <clears throat> I'm in. Uh, Monahan says in a phone interview moments ago with the Associated Press, Liv was going down their path. We were going down ours. And after a lot of introspection, you realize all this tension in the game is simply not a good thing. Can't argue with that. Do you think we're going to have walkouts? Do you think the one percenters like Rory are going to no skip chance. a man? No chance. No chance? Again, back to money. No way. No way. Look, they didn't get the money, the big PGA guys. They didn't get the money that the Liv guys got. But when Liv came around to try to do something to stave off this purge of their players, 
you know, they went out and created the, the, these additional sort of elevated events where guys had to play in 10 out of 12, and then they would get 12 or $15 million. McElroy, I think it was after the U.S. Open. He didn't make the cut, if I remember right, right? Or the Masters, one or the other. And, and he decided that he wasn't going to play the following week. I think it, it might have been in South Carolina or somewhere Heritage. else. It cost him $3 million bucks because he wasn't going to meet the 9 out of 12 or 10 out of 12 of this new thing that they created to try and pay guys a little bit more money they decided to stay with the PGA Tour rather than going to live. I, I can't let, you know, look, I, I do everything I can because I, I root for every single one of you and everybody in this room and me and everybody else make as much money as you possibly can. But I, I'm just worn out. And it doesn't matter what side of the political fence you come down on and all the other stuff. At the end of the day, and maybe at 59, I should know this to be true already. But I just, at the end of the day, they can dress it up with all this nonsense about tension from the fans and tension of the players and all this other sort of stuff. You know, you said a lot of things on the PGA Tour about a lot of other people. And I'm not going to bat for anybody in Saudi Arabia. It ain't happening. All right? We've all read enough through the years of some of the stuff that's gone on there, most recently in American journalists, right? And is there a tie-in? All those sorts of things going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But don't talk to me about, it's like John Kerry. Oh, no. don't, don't talk to me about climate change. And then log hundreds of thousands of miles on a private jet every single year. Don't talk to me about it. The second you open your mouth to talk about it, this is over, this conversation. It's done. You want to be a climate changer? Just picking a random topic. And you want to make sure that every time you travel, you're getting on a commercial plane, you're driving, whatever it is you're doing, your electric car, God bless you. But, you know, all these PGA guys, and look, I got really good friends who are hardcore PGA guys. And all they did was kill live. It's all they did. Kill live. Kill the guys for going to do it. Taking the dirty money. Despite the fact that they were blinding themselves to the fact that companies they were already in bed with are doing business in Saudi Arabia, China, Russia, right? I mean, come on. Come on. Oh, shut up. You guys talk for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> We're just letting you go, Tom. It's your show. It really is crazy looking back at all of this. Now, in retrospect, knowing what has happened here with Live Golf, it's crazy looking back. I would turn it on on the CW every once in a while. I would, like, if I was flicking channels and I stumbled over it, mm -hmm. I'd leave it on. But I wasn't, like, somebody watching live golf every weekend or whatever. I don't think those people exist. No. I don't I, think I, I never watched a second. I don't think there's an audience for for live golf. Uh, but but now there will be. Now there, there now there has to be. Yeah. So I don't know I don't know what I don't know what their whole plan is going to be, but it's going like like we said it's going to be taking some of the some of the ideas from live and shifting them over to PGA. I don't know how the contracts are going to work either. Do you think they'll null those contracts? Who knows. 
Because, Probably. Because they all got signing bonuses, but what comes after that, I don't know what happens. Because there was, I think last place for live events, we're getting 150K. If you just showed up to the event, you're getting 150K. So I don't know what's going to happen. Who on tour? Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know who are guys on tour. But Colin Morikawa, guys like that. Are they going to now ask for more money from Liv? They can't fight it anymore. They've lost. So now they just have to take it. Are they going to start asking for money? The biggest question here, are these guys going to start wearing shorts? <laughs> that's that, that's going to happen. That's I mean, question. they're not, they're not going to play three rounds. They'll play four-round tournaments. There will be cuts still. There will be cuts. They're not going to change that. PGA will get their way on that. Again, money, an extra round. But are these guys going to be able to wear shorts? Are we going to see some shins? Look, the best thing that came out of COVID in sports was that college basketball coaches didn't have to wear stupid suits on the sideline anymore. They can the best? To wear the quarter zips. Suits are the best. Every coach should have to wear a suit. Oh, God. NBA and college. Yeah. Everybody, you know, feels a little more relaxed, feels like the coaches can actually breathe. Are we going to actually – are we going to see, see some shorts here? We, first, we need to see some shorts. Okay. And secondly, I think that more sports – you're talking about coaches and their attire. I think more sports should have to do what baseball does and wear a full uniform. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd, that'd look really good. Andy yes. Reid standing over there in a – Bill Belichick in, in shoulder pads and a helmet? We're talking pop and a, and a full full Spurs uni, uniform? It looked great, Tom. Zach Taylor looked good. He would look good. Lean, fit, ready to roll. Darn right. Right? He looked like a player out there. He was a player. Right? I guess they were all players at some point in time, right? Correct. Well, your guy, Mouse Cop, he says, I'd rather have a cocktail with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia than ever have a drink at Sluggers. Tom. <laughs> he bashes Sluggers all the time. You like Sluggers, right? You know, it's okay. I mean, it's okay. I mean, there were a few others around there that when I was working there uh, that I used to go to far more regularly than Sluggers. What was your, what was your north side you know, bar I, of choice? They, they changed the name of the one that I liked the best. Um, it was down the right field line um, on the, what would that be, southeast corner, high, uh, high Tops. High Tops. That was around for a long time. I think Harry Carey's is now in there, I believe. And, uh, and then loved uh, Murphy's. A.J. Worth says Murphy's we is overrated. another place down the third baseline, Bernie's, which is where we went to most of the time. Most of the time. Bernie's, which is still standing and going strong. Love it. Under the uh, ownership, I believe, of Linda Dillman is still the name. Mm. Yes. Mm. See, good, good bar owners. You always remember their name. Darn right. If they're big leaguers. All right. So that was, that was our uh, – Live golf. We'll see what happens. Maybe tomorrow when we come in here, we'll have some more details and we'll be able to figure some things out with that. But still, I think that's probably the biggest sports story of the year so far. But I don't think far behind is this whole gambling deal, Tom. Yeah. I don't think this gambling story is, is something that's going to be swept under the rug. And, and you know what it's going to do is it's just going to give more credence to the fact that people keep saying, oh, you know, so-and-so's got money on the game or so-and-so's got right, right. You know, whatever. And then they a clip will come out of a player that just maybe didn't see the ball and it was an easy reception for the wide receiver and the, the DB made no play on the ball, whatever it might be. And they're saying, oh, this guy definitely had money on the game. Now in the back of your head, you're always going to be thinking – Ah, let's. I really hope. I really hope that guy didn't have it. Any, you know, 
I don't know. I, I, I just hope that it doesn't spiral and ever really compromise the integrity of the game. I just don't understand where, like, the disconnect in these players just, you can't do it. Yeah. Like, it, you, you just can't do it. There are definitive rules. They've laid it out. And then they've also punished people who have broken the rules very harshly. Calvin Ridley. Right, Calvin Ridley. So I just don't understand what the disconnect is. The, the job that is giving you millions of dollars, the job that is, you know, creating a future for your family has a rule that says you will lose this job or at yeah. least in some capacity you won't be able to work in this job for a time period if you break this rule. And still you are risking it and breaking the rule. I just, I just don't understand where the disconnect is. Well, I mean, not, not only from a fiscal standpoint, and you're right about, you know, trying to take care of your family forever, but I mean your reputation forever. Correct. I mean, Pete Rose is no longer known as the all-time hits leader, by and large, through three or four generations now. He's known as some dude who gambled on baseball and he's been thrown out. Right. Yeah, I heard he was a great player. I was, I, I admit, so you're bringing up Pete Rose, obviously Cincinnati connection. When they initially didn't release who the player was that they were probing and yeah. they were investigating, there was a lot of rumors because the Colts had just um, signed a veteran wide receiver that day and just kind of the vagueness of the quote where said this guy isn't a star but most people would know him there was a lot of rumors swirling around that it was Alec Pierce who obviously played at the University of Cincinnati and boy if it was Alec Pierce what a bad month of PR the University of Cincinnati would have had I'm glad it's not him but just Cincinnati being at the forefront of another gambling um, scandal would have just been mind-blowing that all this stuff happened in one month but i'm glad it's not alec pierce you know you say you you make the point and and, and i think you're probably right on this read about the, the the way um you know the league is is handled this thing with their players but 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 i keep reading you know in different articles and so forth that that so many of these players are saying they're not sure what the rules are yeah. now i mean could you be i mean look if these are true that you know that that you, you, you're gambling on NFL games, or especially if you're gambling on your own team. Well, now all of a sudden, I, I think, look, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that that's probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to things like, you know, the guys earlier that were suspended a few weeks ago for the Lions, right? Right. A couple of them were placing bets on what, basketball games in their car in the facility? Yeah. Right? Yep. And they're like, well, I mean, at least it was a reaction. I, I'm not saying that they were justified, not justified, whatever. I'm just saying you're starting to read a lot more that some of these guys aren't exactly sure what the deal is. The Reds had a player last season that openly slapped another player on our field because of gambling. Tommy yeah. Pham slapped Jock Peterson in the face That's because right. of a, a $25,000 fantasy football league. Yeah. So I, I think there definitely is a gray area. I don't know, what, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what you do. But people are absolutely still gambling openly and not getting penalized for it. Well, yeah. So if, if you're the player, why not just air on, you know, just don't do it at all. Correct. Right? Like if it doesn't matter if you're an NFL player, you don't gamble in college basketball or, or, or college football or, or whatever. You just, if you have a job in professional sports and you are making large sums of money because you're just such a talented and gifted athlete and you know that the precedent has been set over decades in different sports and baseball and, and then Calvin Ridley and all these things that are coming out. If you know the precedent is you can't gamble, why are you gambling on anything?
on right, any pro- on any sports. Let it's me. one thing if you go to the casino, go do that. But you just don't bet on just don't bet on a different sport. It's just simple. All right, let me ask you this. And I don't know the answer to this, and I don't expect you, quite honestly, to know the answer to this. Any of you, open forum here. Do the rules apply to gambling if you work for a professional sports franchise? In this case, it's called an NFL franchise. So if you're the guy who works in the marketing department, right? Maybe you're on the grounds crew. Maybe you're in accounting. Do these rules uh, uh, apply to, to those employees of the team? Anybody know? I don't know. I, I don't know. The only thing that I can speak from from experience is, I mean, when I work at Xavier, I can't bet on anything that involves a Xavier athletic event. Now, I'm an independent contractor, so by my understanding of the rule, I don't have the same application of professional sports and other college sports, but I can't do anything that involves Xavier. Because, I mean, you never know. Like, I'm walking around down in the lot. You know, you see somebody walking around yep. with a boot. You see somebody, oh, that guy's going to play. We didn't – maybe that guy's not going to play. You, you never know. So I, I can't do anything – I can't put any dollar on anything that involves Xavier. But these guys that are at the professional level, you know, or, or other – like I've said a million times on the show, if you're a – athlete or if you work in a college athletic department you can't gamble on anything that involves either a college or a professional sport that's sanctioned by the ncaa which is why a lot of college people will bet on nascar or on boxing or on ufc or on f1 because those sports aren't sanctioned by the ncaa so when you get to the professional level i think a lot of this is kind of new uncharted territory because it's just since 2018 that this has really exploded at this level. Sports betting has been around forever. But at the level that it's at right now, it's it hasn't really been nationally renowned as much as it has in the last five years. And I think everybody's still just kind of figuring it all out because mm-hmm. you even hear of, of a lot of these sports books and everybody that's still – navigating through and trying to figure out what's the best way to write these laws in different states. And you hear Ohio, they're, they're already trying to go back and, and maybe revise some things that they are realizing now five, six months into this that, oh, we, we didn't see this coming or we, we need to go back and correct this. So you get to a point with these colleges and these, and especially now, like you're talking about as it relates to this in professional sports where, you know, you had the Lions people that, or gambling on property, whatever. But it, it seems to me, and this is like when people would, would ask me about like betting on stuff and how you kind of manage things when you're kind of closely tied to a college. It's like if you, if you have to kind of think about it, maybe right. just don't do it. If you have to th- sit there and think in your head, am I going to get in trouble or get fired for this? this? Is, this is maybe you just don't do it. You just err on the side of caution. But clearly a lot of these guys aren't listening to that advice, so what does it matter? Well, PB's Ghost says, hey, it's not new territory at all. Gambling breeds temptation and open things up for nefarious behaviors. Uh, that, 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 no doubt, and as far as players are concerned, no, nefarious behaviors, especially how they could, you know, partake in doing something to de- determine the outcome of a game. Um, no doubt about it. And getting yourself into, you know, big-time trouble with some maybe not-so-good guys, perhaps. Um, you know, this is a thing that, that I imagine th- this won't be the last story we've read like this. No, it probably won't be the last story we've read this summer. Oh, you're spot on. 
the NFL gambling policy that I just put up online um, says that the rules apply to all full and part-time club and league personnel, including league office employees, players, owners, coaches, trainers, game officials, any security personnel, and game day stadium personnel. So I assume that includes anyone that has any association. Well, that would be somebody who's even, yeah, right, ticket taker, right, everyone. So in high school, when I was selling programs at, at Paul Brown Stadium, can't can't gamble. I well, been, I mean, you know, almost wonder in that case you're employed by a different outcome, a different company, right? Who is in a bound agreement to do a job or multiple jobs with Team X, Bengals, whoever it might be. Hard to say there, but the bottom line is that you answered the question. Thank you, Jacob. That that if you if you're working in accounting. And you're some guy who, you know, like a lot of us out there, um, you know, you want to put uh, 20 bucks on the Reds over the Dodgers tonight. Well, if you're working for the Reds, you better not do it. Right. It's just. Or you could be gone. Doesn't matter if you're making 35 grand or whether you're making 35 million. Like Paul said, if you have to think twice about it, if you have to, to look and say, hey, this isn't. Maybe I shouldn't do this. You just shouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. And eventually these guys are going to figure it out and learn the lesson. And the other thing, too, is it's so easy to trace now because all these guys are doing this stuff online. Now, I, I, I can't speak to the Colts deal. But when you're talking about going into a parking lot, it's all online. They have all your tax information. They have your social security number. They know who you are. Calvin it's Ridley used his phone number to sign up online. That's how they found him. Yeah, like it's not hard at all for these guys to get tracked. And when the when you're doing things that trip off the system where, you know, if you're putting in, let's say, $50 bets time and time and time and time again, and then all of a sudden you put in a $2,000 bet, you're not going to get suspended, but that's going to trip something in the system because right. you're going outside of your normal unit size. That's all these online things. It's tracked by regulators that regulate the regulators. Who regulate the regulators? I mean, we are like three rows deep on this, on the gambling in in each state. And each state has their own systems, and some systems track it. Some system, you know, it's just yep. it is just there's no way to to beat this because Tom Malna. to tie off the uh, to tie off the theme of this show here. It's always all about the money, and if you're jeopardizing the integrity of people's money, it's all gonna come back to finding a way to. to to just follow that bread trail. All right, let me ask you this. Because I, 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 I don't want to speak for Elliot because I don't know for sure or Jacob for sure. You guys occasionally gamble on an NFL game? Yes. Okay. I do more than occasionally. All right. So then, <laughs> and, I, and, I so lose, then, and I lose frequently. This is a Gambler's Anonymous segment of our show. Okay. All right. It is pointed out, I'm curious the answer to this question because, look, I have many, 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 many vices. One of them is not gambling. Never been a gambler. Doesn't make me good. Doesn't make me bad. I'm just not a gambler. Um, pointed out of here, and I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on this point, because I've heard this from some people before, and others will argue against this vehemently. Fred says, I'll admit bidding on NFL games. It has made me not like sports as much. I, when you, I, I couldn't disagree more. Yeah, I disagree you watch completely. the game more. You get into it. You learn more because you're watching the games more. You're betting on it. You're, you're taking closer attention to this. But it does warp your brain. It does warp your brain into watching sports. You no longer are worried so much about the outcome. 
you're worried about the spread and it's always in your brain. Like you always are thinking like if you, if you have money on Thursday night football and it's a six point spread, you're no longer wondering, like worrying about who's going to win this game, which way is it going to go? You're worried. Is this team going to win by seven or not? It completely warps your mindset watching a game. And I'm new to gambling. I've only been doing it for about a year and a half. And it is completely warped. Yeah, I think at least from my perspective of it, like I, I really haven't bet on much lately, as we've talked about here. But the one thing that Reed has said, when, you, when you're really in it and you're betting on everything, you know, every day you're betting on one game a day or whatever, you get to a point where there would be times when we'd come here in here on the show and I would be talking with Reed or Casey before a show and I'd be like, God, could you imagine, like, so-and-so won last night. And I'm thinking, wait, no, no, no. They didn't win. Right. They, they just, just covered, covered plus four. And I thought, well, it's close enough. Well, I, in my head, they won because I won the bet. But, yeah, it does help you follow the leagues and it helps you follow the teams and everything more closely. But I don't know. It is it is a very weird – it's a very weird area. Let, let me put it this way. I know several people that, that bet quite frequently. I don't bet on the Bengals games a whole lot because I don't want – to be skewed over just watching the game as a fan because I know that gambling on it will give me a completely different lease on how I view this game. So when it comes to a Bengals game, I very rarely put a wager on it because I just want to watch it as I used to watch sports before I gambled. It, P Paul mentioned it right there. You, you watch a college basketball game. Oh, they played really well last night. Oh, they lost by eight, but they covered the 10-point spread. I thought they played well. Yeah. It just warps your brain entirely. Gentlemen, it doesn't really apply to NFL because I really watch those NFL games anyway. But college basketball, regular season baseball, I'm betting on Orioles Nationals at five o'clock in the afternoon that I yep. wouldn't be watching otherwise. So it, it's a way that I, you know, I find either ten, fifteen, twenty dollars here and there. You can fill your day watching sports that you wouldn't watch otherwise. So that's that's the way okay. I, I think about All it. All right. And to the chat member who posed that question, I think he might have been talking about what Reed was talking about because if you bet on the Bengals and they lose, it's a it's a double loss. And you feel horrible about everything. Because that, that could be a reasonable thing. I don't bet on the Bengals either. Um, just for that same reason. I don't want to feel like a double loser if they lose and I lose my bet. But it absolutely brings more eyes to the sport. I, I care about sports significantly more because I have something on the line. I bet on the Bengals if they are underdogs. Because okay. I do right. not well, that's want... that's a strategic... That's yeah. a strategic play. Because I do not want them to, say, be six-point favorites, win by five, and then have... Correct. A, a pissed off week because they won and I didn't win money. <laughs> well, That's you know, I and, and look, I think futures. we should say with all of this and, and, and fried bologna it get, gets into this, says people legit gamble their families away. You may as well be uh, picking up a meth pipe. Okay. And then, you know, Steve jumps in and says, hey, I can see where betting would affect your enjoyment of sports. Imagine the guy who is betting beyond his means and affecting his family. Those are the people I feel for. I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Those aren't the people we're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, at least I hope not. Right. I mean, I think we're talking about, like, you guys are talking about 10, 15 bucks here or there, college basketball game. Not something that all of a sudden is going to uh, put you in a position where uh, you can't make your, uh, you know, your, your, your rent payment or your mortgage payment uh, and, and your family's going to be thrown out on the streets. We're not talking about that. No. We're just talking about, you know, if, if you put a you know, $20 bet on the Bengals to cover against the Ravens, uh, it was pointed out, as I mentioned, uh, the question was asked, or the point was made, that since he started gambling, um, you know, he doesn't enjoy it as much. Uh, Nick Kirby says, I basically only watch sports that I bet on. Yeah. How about that? And then Mark Fetters, new to the chat. 
Everything in moderation, men. Everything Amen. in moderation. Except for $3 beers tonight at Great American Ballpark. Amen. <laughs> no moderation there, Tom. How about a good fried bologna sandwich? Oh, I mean, got, got <laughs> Tom, you're speaking. You don't. There was I an mean, element, a little cheese on there, right? Tom, there was a time in my life where I would exclusively tweet about bologna sandwiches. I eat a bologna sandwich probably three nights out of the week as a meal. I love bologna. Even now? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Really? I love so, I mean, you put it in the you, you put it in the pan, right? Yeah, fry it okay, up. Okay, fried. You put a little cheese on there. Oh yeah, a little mayo. Oh yeah, a little mustard, a little lettuce maybe. I mean, if if I got some 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 lettuce, I, I normally when I go to the grocery, <laughs> I just get bologna. <laughs> we have somebody in the chat named Hamster Sacks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That just took my, uh, my thought of a good fried bologna sandwich right in the tank. Right in the tank. But he does say that Tom is turning Hamilton. That's okay. I love Hamilton. Come here to work every single day. Damn right, Tom. Great town. No doubt about it. We're going to get you at River's Edge sometime this summer for one of these, one of these cover bands. Taylor Swift. Well, we've got I – don't, I don't know what kind of I music – I love Taylor Swift music. I'd be in for that. I mean, I can't afford to go to the real one like BLP over here. That's yeah, true. But, you know. I, I'm i pulling it up, but we got, I don't know if you're an ACDC guy. Um, well, well, what other, you know, I mean, I, I've seen ACDC, the real ACDC in concert. We got solid. I've seen him a couple of times. We got Pink Floyd. Eh, not a big Floyd oh, guy. Oh, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You're a Rolling Stones guy, aren't you? Big Rolling Stones guy. We've got Satisfaction, Rolling Stones cover band, August 31st on a Thursday. Well, there'll be a, there'll be a, oh, no, there won't. Uh, that, that might be in the works. I'll drive back up for it. Heck yeah, Let's guys. get the whole crew out. Satisfaction. The name of the band is Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Okay. All right. Um, give, give me, give, just give me a couple other names. That are that are like in there. A couple I, of I, other like pulled, you said, Pink Floyd. You Pink said Pink Floyd, AC, Van Halen, ACDC, Van, Van Halen, Van Halen, solid. Led Zeppelin. There's an. I 80s. mean, for all we know, David Lee Roth might be in that spinoff band. Right. In the in on Fourth of July, we've got a band called That Arena Rock Show. All the big hair bands come here and they just Ooh. play different '80s music. So right up your alley, Tom. That is I'll see you there. Right up my alley. Tracy Jones was into those hair bands at one time. He had to be, right, Tracer? Good morning. Yeah, good morning. You know, I've been to a lot of concerts, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, I had some friends that worked at the Fabulous Forum back years ago, and all the bands would play. And so I, there was probably 10 guys that worked at the Forum. Well, we used to sneak in and watch the concerts for free. And our seats were right there. I mean, they had we had the best seats because the producers would come, they wouldn't come, they would have the seats, but they're old bastards, right? They aren't gonna like to see ACDC, you know, with Bon Scott. So we would see, you know, all these concerts. I probably, and I'm really not a big fan, Aerosmith eight times. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I go back to, you know, ACDC when, you know, for those about to rock, all those great, but, but I've seen Dolly Parton. I've seen the Jackson Five. Yep. I've seen all the groups, and uh, it was quite an experience. But you mentioned some of the groups. I don't like Pink Floyd. You have to be a stoner. I'm sure Reed's in that area. It, that's <laughs> what you, Pink Floyd. 
I don't like Van Halen with David Lee Roth. I like him with uh, Sammy Hagar. You remember Sammy Hagar played in Montreux. I cannot believe you just said that, but go ahead. I mean, I can't even believe any human being would say they like Van Halen better with Sammy Hagar than David Lee Roth. I mean, oh, they're big hits. Oh, they're big hits and and, and great music was when uh, David Lee Roth was there. I mean, come on, going back to Jamie's Cry. I mean, all that stuff. Come on. Come on. I, I like, Name me I like one that. song that Van Halen did with Sammy Hagar that was worth a hoot. Rock Candy. Oh, that's Montrose. <laughs> I was a big Montrose. I really like Sammy Hagar. He looks great. I mean, he's in his 70s, I think. He looks like he's, I mean, he's, I think he's 72. He looks like he's 70. I mean, he really is kicking some ass. <laughs> big, big fan of uh, Sammy Hagar. And not a fan of uh, David Lee Roth. He's a goofball. Well, he is a goofball. There's no doubt about that. No doubt. Hey, what what are your thoughts? I don't know if you, you know, we were talking a lot earlier today. Um, You you have any thoughts on this whole live PGA Tour thing that that they're combining today? That's kind of like the biggest story in all the sports this morning that, you know, after all the legal disputes and haggling and on and on and on and on and players leaving and signing up with live and, and now all of a sudden, Everybody's one big happy family. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, I haven't had a chance to look at it, Tom. Okay. I apologize. I didn't okay. come prepared. You know, it, it's like I really don't know much about golf. Now, if you ask me about upcoming strip bars, I'm all over it. If you want me to, to give you that breakdown. But golf, not so much. Hey, I've got something for you. I got two things for you guys. Are you ready for this? Ready. Do you want a, a baseball topic or do you want uh, something not on baseball related kind well, of just while unlike. we're all, while we're off of baseball for the time being and we are going to get to baseball let's just stay with the off baseball for a minute if that's okay, okay with you okay i want your opinion on this this is a true story and it just happened about four days ago a client of mine is a real estate agent uh, a, a son who, whose mom died hires my client to clean out the house and then is going to have the listing of the house but as it is with so many people and so many older people, a lot of people are hoarders. Yeah. I mean, you go into old people's houses and there's junk everywhere. So it's a big project. So my client go, goes in there on day two. It's like a three-day job. He, she has a worker with him. They go and clean out this house. One of the workers walks out with a dresser drawer. And my client says, did you check the drawers? Now, this is a true story. He says, no. He says, everything's been junk. I mean, everything's been junk. Really not much to keep anything. She goes, let me look through it. It's a sock drawer. They end up, she ends up finding $15,000. Honest to God store. I mean, cash. So you can imagine what that looks like in a sock drawer. Pairs of socks, you know, hundreds stuffed in there. That's what old people do. You got to kind of go through old people. I found when my mom died, I found a bunch of silver coins that no one had talked about. So you have to go through the house and look at it. So here's the dilemma she's in. Financially, she's hurting bad, bad. Got some credit card debt. Let me make uh, sure, oh, let, me inter- let me interrupt real quick. I just wanna make sure who the she is. Yeah. The she is the woman who has paid the money to go into the house and clean it all up. Yes. Okay, yes. go ahead, go ahead. So she thinks about it. She has the $15,000. She needs this $15,000. She needs it. Sits on it for two days. 
doesn't tell her husband, doesn't say anything to her husband. She's got this like stored in a drawer of $15,000. I don't even know what that really looks like. And finally made the decision to give it back to the son who had hired her to clean out the house and to put the home up for sale. And I, and I have to ask you guys, what would you do? Tom, what would you do? What would the Ham and Eggers do? Because you could justify keeping that $15,000, right? You're hired to clean out the, uh, out the place. No one would ever know. You're kind of in tough times. Do you keep that $15,000 or do you give it back? She gave it back. And do you know what he gave her in return? What do you think's fair? Finding $15,000, what do you think is fair to give back? Well, look, if the son, I mean, and I'm assuming for a second, the son is probably in a good place financially, right? He's going to sell that right. house and make whatever proceeds. So, two million. If you're two at, million. well, okay, well, look, I don't care if it was 200000 If, 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 you know, if you're asking me the question, should she, what would I have done? I would have given the money back. But if I were the son, I'd say to her, you keep all 15. You found it. I didn't want anything oh. to do with taking my busy time. Uh, you know, I didn't have time to go clean it up. I would have right. never found it. Lord knows where nope. all that would have ended up. Maybe in some uh, trash play. I have no idea what they were going to do with all this stuff. But throw it in a landfill. <laughs> right. So if I were if I were the guy, the sign, I'd say, hey, you found the fifteen thousand. You keep the fifteen thousand. Guys, what would you do? Yeah. Let's, let's go around the horn here. We've got yeah. Reed, and be we've honest. got Paul, be and we've got Jacob, who you have not yet met, Tracy, officially. Let's start with Reed Mouse. Would I take the money? Yeah. Honest. Probably. See? I'm not an honest That's man. A... I'm not yeah. an honest man. Well, you always I'm always Hamilton. You know why? No, wait, wait a minute, Reed. You know why? Because you're a liberal and you and a Democrat. You guys like free money, don't you? That is true. So that ahead. is I, spot I on. All the all the yep. free stuff we can possibly get. All the free stuff right, we can Tom? possibly get. Look, I'll be honest, Tracy. You're going to dangle some money in front of me. It's going to be very hard for me to say no. Wow. I am amazed. Reed. Oh. Uh, Reed, we've heard from Reed and, uh, and Paul on this. Let's get to Jacob and Elliot. Okay, Jacob, what would you do if you found the 15 grand? Well, I'd like to have a different answer than the two men over there, but I think I'd hold on to it as well. You know how many $3 beers I could get tonight with 15 grand? It's a lot. It's a lot of $3 Still beers. Still not enough money for as many beers as we're going to drink. Finding $15,000. Oh, gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. Wow. You can't, this you, is you, amazing. You know, what's a quote from the Bible about, you know, selling uh, your soul? I mean, all right, uh, go ahead. Uh, you may not know what we're talking about here, Elliot. Yes. All right. So but, you, you but know what we're talking we're, I, about. I heard we're finding fifteen grand, and we're deciding whether to keep it. Well, we, we were finding yeah. fifteen grand. we are struggling. We were paid, right? We were paid by somebody to come in and clean out. Uh, a relative's house, okay. right? I, so the guy who's paying them is saying, look, I ain't got time to do it. You go do it, right? Yes. They're cleaning out the stuff, which Tracy points out may have wound up in a landfill for all we know. And, um, and you know, so you find the 15000 in a sock drawer. Are you going to tell the person that's paying you uh -huh. to do it? You found the fifteen grand. you are just going to keep it? Okay, so I look at this from a gambling perspective. If, it was, if it's about the gambling, <laughs> oh my if, god! Wait, 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 hear me out. If it's about, oh my god! If it's about the gambling week I just had, I would keep the fifteen grand. I'm gonna need it for my next week's bets. Correct. But if I'm off a good week, that money's going to good gambling karma. So now you give it back, you donate it, do whatever you need to do with it. Don't keep it. 
Gam- the gambling gods will see that, and they will reward you with more bets. I think realistically, what I would probably do, you, you uh, gotta figure. No, out. you've already answered, uh, Paul. You uh, gotta oh, figure out. No, no, I'll be no, honest. No, 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 no. You're okay, feeling bad can, now. No, no. Can I be? Right? Can I be completely You're honest? You're liberal elite. Can I be? You know, <laughs> can I, no, no, no. Than everybody can I be compl- is taking over. Can here? I be completely honest with you, Tom? I was, uh, I was working on something on YouTube. Thought we were talking about live golf. <laughs> I thought we were talking about taking live golf money. I missed the I missed the first part right, of the okay, story. Okay, all right, that's the case. What I would probably do with finding fifteen thousand dollars would probably be to you. You got to figure out a way to get a cut of it, though. There's no chance you can just find fifteen thousand dollars and not expect to get like five grand of it. Maybe you only found ten thousand. You think you're going to be giving someone fifteen grand that is rightfully theirs, and they're just going to give you five grand of it? You, yeah. you got to figure out a way to get a cut of that money. Oh Listen, my there's God. no way. I, you know, I, you got to figure I, out a way to get a cut is, of that money. Tracy, if this is not now, now think about who's in this room and having this conversation. I know, me, right? I know. I mean, we've yeah. got private school, Catholic private school, school yep. private school, private school, public school. You're a yep. public school guy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and there's a big difference in, in, in age. So you start with the, the, the big spread in age where you and I are compared to these guys. I am in shock. Who in the hell am I, am I working too. with around here? It, it's really, you know, it's really not even funny. You poor bastards are going to go through your life. You've got bad karma. You take that 15000 right, Tom? That's bad karma. I'm a financial advisor. You think I'm sitting there thinking if I could get this money, this money, this money? You've got to be honest. It's not your money. It's not your, it's 15000 goes to the son that hired you to clean up the house. You're also getting that sale, right, of the house. You're getting the, the listing. And to, for all four of those JOs to come out and say they would keep the money, what does that say about where we are in society? No wonder we're going to get screwed over. You guys are just selfish. selfish. All right, so get- let's hear the end of the story. What end? So when all is said and done, these four are in the camp, they stick it in their pocket, and then they're looking over their shoulder the rest of their lives. Right. You and I are in the camp where we're going to give the money back now, I said if I were the, the dude, I, I'd, I'd tell her to keep all 15, but that's just me. What happened? Got the $700. The son gave $700 to, to my client, and that was it. She never you have told got, her you, husband, you have got to be kidding me. What, just 700 Yeah. That's it. That's all, that's all she got. That's all she got. I think that's See, weak. I, I, I think that's the weak part. I got to tell you, I, I think his action is just as bad as if she stuck the 15 grand in her pocket. That is despicable. This dude is going to make $2 million. You talk about somebody taking cash that wasn't theirs. Right. I mean, let's put this thing into perspective for a second. All of a sudden, the son, what in the hell did he do to earn the $2 million? Zero. Right? And now all of a sudden, he's taking $2 million in his pocket. And then 14300 more that wasn't his? And giving this poor yeah. woman $700? But it took her, Tom, two days. She sat on that money for two days. How bad do you think it is if you don't tell your husband? I think that's a little... Because I think the husband would have said, keep the money. Because they need the money. So that was a, it was, that's a tough call, though. It, it is a... Not for me, not for us, but 
for you to keep it, man, I, I'd be looking over my shoulder. Well, that, that's, that's why I'm keeping right. That's why I'm keeping it. The guy's too greedy. He's only going to give 700 back for the for the lady who found You're it. You're going to do better with that money than they will. Correct. He's being too greedy. So we're <laughs> taking it out of his money. I mean, $700? He's going to be making thousands and millions on the house, and Put he's only going to give up $700? We are doing the good here. Right. Oh, my God. Put it back into the U.S. economy via Betfred. Correct. That's right. Listen, Tom, you're talking to four kids who went to Catholic school. Have you ever been to a Catholic oh, mass? Oh, boy. <laughs> they, they, they bring the basket yeah, around. They, they don't do. give you money I know mass. they do. I know they, they do. They take it. You know what, yeah. Tom? Let me, yeah. let me chime in here. That's I why Martin Luther came along. That's why he came along. Go ahead. Here's a good point. You know, that 15000 would probably go off to, to pay a lot of that college tuition debt. That's probably, what, one hundred twenty, one hundred thirty thousand for you freeloaders, isn't it? I mean, how, how much is your student loan debt, you four? Can you imagine Tom, that? Tom, I went to There's a There's no arts. student loan, loan debt in this room. Oh, there's a, well, there's a lot. Well. It's just not getting paid because we keep voting Democrats in there. They're just going to get rid of it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's shift yeah. gears here. All right, let's face it. All right, here we go. All right, you wanted to talk about something baseball-wise. Okay, yes, Tom, and this is right up your alley. You really love this stuff. And I asked the question to Chat GPT, your favorite AI bot. You love Chat GPT, don't you? No? My son saw the clip that was sent out by our group here on social media about that. And they had to, you know, shorten it up and tighten it up and edit it up and everything else. I mean, I, I still can't believe it. And I am sure that I will be uh, right on board with what you're about to tell me. Let's hear it. Okay. Here's my question to chat GPT. I said, list the top five cities where major league baseball should get an expansion team. Ooh, that's a Are good question. Are you ready for this? Okay, all right. Because this, Tom, this concerns you because expansion, you could get, a, there's a real good chance that you could get a job. You should have a job. Portland's probably not a good place, and that's my number five city. I've played in Eugene, Seattle. You're a little too edgy for those people. You want to keep them away. So yeah. number five. <laughs> Thank is, you very much. I'm well aware of that already. Yes, just thought I'd point that out in case you don't know. Uh, Portland is five. Number four, do you want to guess? Uh, let's say Montreal. Nashville. No, okay, Nashville. All right. Number three. Number three. Um, Montreal. Is that just going to be your answer all the way? That's where I wanted to go. If I'm going to get a job, let me go there. <laughs> it's Charlotte. That's okay. good city. Yeah. Here's the one. Here's the two right here. Number two. Number for two. Uh, you said Charlotte and Nashville already. Uh, you said Portland. Uh, does Las Vegas count in this deal? Las Vegas is number two. Okay. Okay. And number one. Go ahead, Tom. Take a guess. Best city for Major League Baseball to have an expansion team. Go ahead, Tom. You got this one? Orlando. See, you were going, 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 and then you just, Montreal, Tom. Montreal, yeah. Montreal. I, I have no problems with any of those sites. I don't know enough about uh, Portland. I mean, they lost an NBA team. Uh, it would be right. the only uh, professional sports team, right? 
Oh, no, they're still yeah. in the NBA. Yeah, Seattle I was lost. Say, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Portland's still, still there. So they have an NBA team. Um, you know, baseball, I'm sure the population is there for it. Um, I don't know how that would affect Seattle much. I know that's a pretty good drive, pretty good flight. They're further away than you think they are looking at a map. Um, uh, and, and then even drifting down into uh, Northern California and the Giants. But um, what, what would you put at one, two, and three? Well, I would put I would put Montreal number one and playing for the Expos. I don't know if you guys know this, but I did play for the Montreal Expos. And the problem with the Expos was the was the stadium. And Tom, you know this because you broadcast games there, I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe yep. you didn't. It was very cold, right? Very yep. sterile. Yep. And I like ballparks where I'm really close to the fans. You know what I mean? I like to interact with the fans. If I see someone uh, booing me or something, I can go on the stands, slap them, give them a correction in the back of the head. So I like fans close to where I'm at so we can kind of have that connection. So I right. think that's what Montreal was missing, my opinion. I yes, think Vegas I agree is a good 100%. Fit. Yes. Vegas is a good fit. And I do like Charlotte. I like that city a lot. I think it's booming. So I think that's pretty good. I, I, but Montreal's my number one pick. Yeah, I mean, you know, Charlotte, I, I, I've never been able to put a finger on, on the whole Charlotte thing. I mean, I, I've done a ton of uh, uh, football games there, and, you know, most of the growth in Charlotte uh, is, is in the suburbs. I mean, like a lot of other yeah. places, uh, their downtown's okay. Um, it's, it, it's nothing great, but it's nice. I mean, it's safe. It's clean, all those kinds of things. Right. Uh, unlike a lot of American cities right now. But, but you know, the um, – I, I don't know. I, I – I, I just look at the whole population down there, and, you know, it's, it's a couple of hour drives from the big triangle of Raleigh, Durham, Chapel uh, mm -hmm. Hill, you know, and then you get they have some other decent-sized cities. It, it would be a decent little drive to get there, Greensboro and some of those places. South Carolina, you'd bring some people up because Charlotte's right on the border. Maybe, I guess, maybe. I think a Nashville what? franchise would really hurt the Reds. What do you think? Oh, you do? I do. I don't know. Nashville's booming, too. You know, that's a good spot. Let me throw a curveball into this mix. What about taking expansion overseas? We've talked about it on the show. Maybe that's a better answer. Maybe somewhere in Japan or even China. I mean, who knows? I think well, that could be I, an answer. I mean, I think that your best bet is going to be if they're going to look at outside the United States uh, and Montreal notwithstanding would be uh, Mexico City just because of the sheer size of the place, right? It's one of the five largest cities, right. I think, in North America. Maybe yeah. you imagine the elevation there. <laughs> yeah, the elevation yes. is taller than Denver. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. you know, hey, what would you think of Andrew Abbott's game last night? Did you watch any of that? I thought he was excellent. I thought he was excellent. I was really impressed. I think he has really, not to dive to inside baseball and be nerdy, but I thought he had real quick arm action. I thought his fastball. What does really that mean? Exploded. What does that mean? It just his arm action. You know, like you have guys that kind of slow their arms down, and you could kind of pick the ball up. I bet you he's really tough to pick the ball up because his his arm action is so quick. I was really impressed. What did he give up? One hit or yep, one something hit. like that? Yep. Or yeah, I mean it was uh, it was very impressive. I mean, here we go again. How does that future look? Is that a guy that you could bet number one, number two? at the top of the rotation. I mean, can you imagine having Lodolo and Abbott, your two lefties, and then you have Hunter Green, Ashcraft's 
I don't know what's happened to him, but you just need a couple more starters and you're looking pretty good. And then, of course, the rumor is India moving over to play third base. That's a question mark. And Dela Cruz coming to play shortstop. You move McLean over to second base, and all of a sudden, you got a pretty good infield. Oh, I don't think there's a lot of good about it. Well, I mean, it's just what, what they got to figure out they're going to do. You know, you know, Tracy. One thing we, you, and we've talked about De La Cruz and the whole thing, and um, yeah. But but you know, um, we were talking with Tola, to, uh, uh, with Charlie Goldsmith earlier, covers the Reds and the Bengals, and, and you know, now all of a sudden though, you start to look at least for the rest of this season, and I think we all agree uh, that Spencer Steer is a candidate for the Rookie of the Year. Right? Yes. He's been playing a lot of yep. first base. If you're going to move any yep. to third, then you have pretty much made the decision that Steer is going to be a first baseman slash DH. But when you're looking at reps at first base or DH, okay, you've got Steer. We know the whole situation with Tyler Stevenson, who's not having a good year. I, I don't know if anybody on the planet is more deserving to come to the big leagues than Encarnacion Strand. I mean, the guy's hitting 350. His on-base percentage is like 450. Slugging percentage leads the league. He's got 14 bombs in 34 games. Just hit a grand slam two nights ago. Um, and then you've got him in the mix. Oh, and by the way, Vado's out on a rehab. So, you know... <laughs> There's going to be the sentimentality of bringing Votto and getting him back and playing because he's Joey Votto. But is that at the expense of seeing what Steer and Encarnacion can do? Yeah, it is. And that's kind of a sad situation. But Votto's going to get in there and play. I don't know if India can play third base. I mean, he played at Florida. Wasn't he a third base? Yeah, he was. He was. I mean, if you're having trouble playing second base, you're definitely going to have some problems at third base. Third base is a tough position. And then you have that Marte kid. He just got player of the month or something in, in the Southern League, didn't he? Yep. I mean, yep. he's he's a stud. So you've just got so many good players that are coming up. I, I'm excited, but they need to just keep adding those pitchers. Add those pitchers and the guys that you don't think that are going to be in the mix, your impact players, then you're going to have to trade them. And remember, it's... Trade for that number one guy. It, it could be number one arm. You're not going to trade. Number one arm. That might be a low A or a, 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 even in rookie ball, but has the potential to come up here and just throw gas. I like the hard throwers, though. Yeah. And, you know, in a day or two, uh, we're going to get into a little bit about Danny Grave, uh, former, you know, Reds reliever, all-time yeah. saves leader. Uh, went on social media today about an article written about how now all of a sudden we're seeing more and more and more and more at the major league level. Impact, big time stuff. More and more Tommy yes. John surgeries again. More and more guys throwing 100 miles or wanting to throw 100 miles an hour, right? Right. Uh, we'll get into that another time. Here's a question I have for you. Um, <clears throat> how much of an advantage, if an advantage at all, is it for a guy like Abbott or anybody else who is pitching for the first time against a team that has never seen him before? Most people say that that is to the advantage of the pitcher. True or false? Without a doubt. Of course, the, the Brewers have the scouting report on Abbott, but it's not like going in and facing the guy. It is going to be, you make a really good point, Tom. Second time around, after you get a chance to watch this guy and you face him, they're going to make adjustments, and then he needs to make adjustments. Remember, baseball and sports is, is the ability to adjust. If you can adjust, 
then you'll be all right. But the, the advantage definitely goes to Abbott the first time around. There's no doubt about that. So does that mean we shouldn't get excited about what he did quite yet? And let's just kind of see, you know, if he pitches against the Brewers. Uh, because, look, for the extended period of time here, he's going to be facing everybody for the first time, right? I mean, right. his next start will come against St. Louis uh, after this series against the Dodgers or whoever. So, so are you suggesting that, you know, let, let, let's let this thing breathe and not get too excited yet? I mean, yes, happy for what happened for the kid. But yeah. as far as the long haul is concerned, let's everybody take a couple of steps back. Well, number one, let me point out that, you know, his stats in AA and AAA are pretty good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. He was a top 100 prospect. So, obviously, there's no secret this guy can pitch. Um, I played the game, and I see things you people don't see. It's, a very, it's see why we have not, you on the show. It's, he's got a very good fastball. He's got a good curveball. Uh, hit and spot. I mean, he's going to be a, a, a really good pitcher. I think I think we're doing all right. We are doing all right. I think we, the Reds are in good shape. We, is that a French played, word from Montreal for well, yes? Uh, here, here's the deal, Tom, and I just said it. I played for the Reds, right? Once you a did. Red, always a Red. I can say we if I'm a, uh, uh, talking about the Giants. Once a Giant, always a Giant. That's why I was invited to Reds Fest, Giant Fest, Expo whoa, whoa, Fest, whoa, whoa, Tiger whoa, whoa, Fest. Whoa, 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 Hang on a second. Hang on a second. You just said something that, that caught me off guard there. I thought that? that you were not invited to Reds Fest. Was I, I misunderstand that? Touche. See, I was, I was just talking, and see, I got to watch it with you because you're a really good listener. I haven't been invited to Reds Fest in three years. Three years. Reed, you have any thoughts an on that? Reed, yeah. any thoughts on that? How, how can they not let an icon in the Cincinnati Reds pantheon like Tracy Jones not go to Reds Fest? Not only is he a former player, but he's in the media. And who else would you want better representing the franchise than Tracy Jones? I think if you look at my body of work, and, right. I, and I think there's so much body of work, you know, the extra inning show. I mean, you go back, and I don't like to brag about my stats, but at one time in 1988, I was tied with Ricky Henderson for the most stolen bases in baseball with nine before I tore, tore up my knee. I mean, I'm not talking about that, but I think I've done some things that would qualify me to show up to Reds Fest. Or would you rather watch some guy who's playing in, you know, Dayton. I don't know. They have a lot of young guys there at that Reds Fest, don't they, Tom? Well, they, they have a ton of young guys. And if you're asking me that question, there is no doubt in anyone's mind that if you were to come there as opposed to some young man, and God bless him, once he gets to the big leagues, good for him. Come on back to Reds Fest every single year. But uh, if it's going to be some dude that 99% of us have never heard of, it's playing down in fill-in-the-blank, you know. Yeah. Tracy Jones got to be there. Yeah. I don't think they liked it when I set up my own table there at Reds Fest a few years ago and I charged everybody $5 for an autograph. <laughs> I don't think that went over well. I thought it was a good deal, but, you know. <laughs> you might be onto something there. <laughs> All right, my man. Well, thank you for your time as always. Have a great day. We'll catch up on Thursday. All right, Ham and Eggers, you guys have a good, uh, good day. By the way, just to give you a heads up, do you want to know what a really – what a J.O. looks like. I might be in a shirt and tie on Thursday for the show because I'm meeting with a client 
on Thursday. So if you see me, shirt and tie, no hat, um, that's a bad look, I know, but I might have to wear a shirt and tie on Thursday. So I apologize in advance. I didn't know you owned a shirt and tie, Tracy. I thought you were just a T-shirt, Tommy Bahama T-shirt and backwards hat kind of guy. One. Just own one. That's all you need. It's gonna, I, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's a white shirt starched with a purple tie. I have a purple tie, a red tie, and that's it. Is the purple tie to, to signify your regality? Because you're almost pretty much a royal here, in, at least in northern Kentucky, but certainly in the Cincinnati metropolitan area. No, no, not the purple. I like the purple, but I also wear a green tie because you know how I'm into money. But I wouldn't oh, take sure. $15,000 from someone. You guys well, yeah, are going to hell. You make that you're in one day hell. of day trading. So, <laughs> Tracy, we're on the same page oh, on that last one. Yeah. We're on the same page. Yeah, disgusting. Embarrassing. Yeah. All right, my man. Yeah. Have a good day. See you guys. Well, I'm really surprised by all you guys. I'll be and honest. And even members of the chat. I mean, they are all pretty much on board, straight across the board there with me. People. There are a couple of others in there. But, I mean, there are guys like you have got to be kidding. PB's ghost, bad juju. Taking money that isn't yours. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, you guys just got killed. All four of you. If you're wondering how I'd sleep at night, knowing that I that I stole sixteen thousand dollars, it'd be right on my side with my hip just slanted <laughs> up because there's a fat stack of cash right in the right pocket. Real spirit cat perhaps said it best. If I was Tom, I'd have to take a shower before I left those studios today. <laughs> Boy, Everett saying, Tom, thanks. You're on the right side. We know we're on the wrong side. <laughs> We know that that's the wrong thing to do. Like, there's not, like, some, like, devil and angel on our shoulders trying to help us with the decision. Like we Animal just, House. Right. No, we yeah, just, we know what the right decision you're is. We're the dean's daughter. Not to do it. I wouldn't announce. I'm not announcing that I'm taking it. I'm just going to take it. Right. This whole, this whole big <laughs> – why are we making this a big spectacle? I'm just putting it in my pocket. Right. Nobody knows. I will do more good with that money <laughs> yeah. than he will. Okay. All right, we do have a cherry on top before we get out of here. All right, let's have it. Cherry on top before we have our big corporate headquarters meeting. This comes to us courtesy of Nick Kirby. Just sent this to me on Twitter. Nick Kirby? Yeah, Nick Kirby sent it. This, he did not make this video, but he sent it to me. And I thought we'd... Whoop. Oh, hold on. Hold on. UDF, you're getting a double sponsorship. There we go. I'm about a multi-million dollar buyout. These are our demands. Your company cannot be worth that much. Our company is worth nothing. That's the difference between you and I. Business isn't about money to me, David. If tomorrow my company goes under, I will just start another paper company, and then another, and another, and another. I have no shortage of company names. Michael. That's one of them. Yes. <laughs> These are our demands. This is what we want. Our balls are in your court. Okay, deal. Okay. Can we have the room, please? Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> oh. 
That's good stuff. <laughs> yep. You like The Office, Tom? I've never watched it. You've never seen The Office? Oh, I've never seen it, but uh, that, 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 that's good stuff right there. That's really good stuff. Yep. Well done. Well done. Um, all right. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be joined by Joe Davis. Uh, he is uh, the primary play-by-play announcer on television for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's also now the play-by-play voice of the World Series on Fox ever since Joe Buck left to go to uh, ESPN ABC. And he also announces uh, college football, NFL football for uh, Fox. And so he will be joining us tomorrow for a lengthy interview. We'll talk about his career. We'll talk about the Dodgers. We'll talk about some things going on in baseball. Maybe we'll present the same um, question to him that we presented to you clowns today about the 15 grand. Did you just call us clowns? Clowns. Straight up clowns. <laughs> Straight up. It's not the worst thing I've been called today. All right, guys. We uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good seeing you guys. Thanks to all of you. And uh, good Lord willing. We'll look for, and especially for these guys. We'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow.